All right. Good morning so far. So glad to get to be with you, and we're really grateful that you're here today with us at Trinity, especially if you're a guest, when again, it'd be another person getting to welcome you. And if you're here uh, often, we're really glad you're here. You're in a series with us we call Rooted and Reaching. This is week six in an eight-week series, so we're getting close to wrapping it up, but we're really glad you're here today. We'll give a, a little bit of an overview to catch you up if this is the first time for you. Uh, let me do this. A couple of things by way of introduction. If you have your, commun- or your uh, Trinity this week. These notes are inside of that. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you want to grab those, get those out. Those will help us kind of through the message today, but you'll also note those are great discussion questions for your home groups that you'll be engaging later on this week, so I want to make sure you have those. And if you have a Bible today, you can open that up to 1 Thessalonians. Great word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's in the New Testament, uh, towards the back end of your New Testament. Here's your help in finding it today. It comes right before, you got it, 2 Thessalonians. So um, don't ever say I never helped you out. Um, find your way though, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, kind of have your maybe your mark there, and we'll jump in in just a second. One thing I wanted to say, it was really encouraging this week, kind of around town in the community. I saw a couple of uh, Trinity Church uh, window, window stickers in cars on vehicles that were driving safely. That is no small thing. That is no small thing. So uh, be mindful of that. We talked about those last week. And remember, the whole point of those, the whole point of those is to create opportunities for conversation. We're not worried about trying to be like other churches. We're not trying to do something that is so much about us. What we're trying to do is that person in your relational world that you're praying for, that you're investing in, we'll talk about today, you're inviting. When you go to invite them to something at Trinity, oh, I think I've seen something about those stickers around town on the backs of cars who were driven by drivers who were driving wisely. That will speak volumes to them like nothing else. Um, so we're trying to create conversations for you, and that's one good way. We call it brand awareness. That's one good way to do that. If you were here last week or didn't get a, a sticker and you want one, they're out at the Welcome Center today. Just a dollar covers the cost, but I want to make you aware of that. What we want to do today, I want to jump in. I have been, I was telling you, I just confessed to my brother Bill when I was walking through before we get up here. This series has me so excited, but it's also made me long-winded. And you, that's not news to you. You're like, I know, I know. So I'm really going to try to work on this and uh, try to keep us in, in the box we need to be. But uh, I really am. This is something that's been on my heart for a long time, and I'm so excited to get to share it with you. Let me catch you up. Here's where we've been. Week one in this series, we pulled out to 30,000 feet, and we asked the question, what's the plot line of the Bible? Every great story has a plot you can follow. The Bible is the greatest story. And its plot line reads like this. God creates a God who is perfect, creates a perfect world, but gives that world the opportunity to not love him. They choose that way. And as a result, all of creation is in this problematic situation of being stained with sin. The rest of the Bible is about God redeeming, God reconciling his creation to himself and what we did today in the person of Jesus Christ. And so what we said was, that's a plot line of the Bible. First of all, we need to not only hear it, know it, but respond to it. And in responding to it, it should change our perspective. It should change our priorities. Week two, we talked about a powerful narrative from the Old Testament of these um, lepers who come across this food, or this camp filled with food and resources, while directly behind them is a walled city literally starving to death. And they say this powerful line, it would not be right... It is not right for us to keep this to ourselves. We need to go tell the people. And we said that same idea. It's not right for us to keep this great news of the Bible to ourselves. 
We want to tell other people. Well, we asked the question, who and how? And Pastor Tom came week three. Tom Mercer, he talked about your relational world, your 8 to 15, your oikos. This is where we begin with that message. People we already have relationship with. We don't need to pray, God, send someone across my path this week because God has put people already in my world. Would I pay attention to them? These guys are so great. This, this I for, forgot to mention last service. Uh, I'll mention it to you in a minute. But in, these, in this relational world idea, <clears throat> this is a little different of a graphic than what we even use when Tom was here. And really why I love it, I love thinking in what I call concentric circles. So the people I spend the most time with, the people who know me the best, this is Todd's version of this, are my family. And then there's people that I work with or people you might go to school with. And beyond that, the friends I associate with, my extended family, and ultimately neighbors, these are all people that I live in spheres of relationship, who I spend the most time with, who know me best, and that's my relational world. You have one that looks like it as well. So in that idea, these are, this is my relational world, I should, I should be thoughtful of this group. I should consider this is where to start. The next week, we talked about the relationship between rooted and reaching. How do these things work together? And we went to this great passage in Colossians chapter 2. Continue as you began following Jesus, but know that in that process, Jesus is rooting you. He's rooting you deeper into himself. It's not just up to you. You have a part to play. It's in relationship, partnership to Jesus and what he's doing and what's going to happen. Your gratitude is going to overflow into the relationships that you do life with. It'll reach them, rooted and reaching. We kind of brought that together. And then last week, we talked about this idea, this powerful passage from 1 Corinthians 3. We want to build our life with things that matter, things that will last. And we said the biggest reason, the biggest reason that's keeping us from that often is margin. We have no margin. And what we talked about was we need to start, these are rocks. We need to start with the big rocks, drop them in first, and then let other things come in around them. And the Bible gets to tell us what the big rocks are. The Bible says these things matter most. Jesus said it. Love God with all your heart. Love people as yourself. Great commandment. And as you are going, make disciples. Great commission. Great commandment. Great commission. That is what rooted and reaching is about. And so we said that in order for me to begin engaging this, I've got to start actually by not starting, but by stopping. I have to pull some things out so I can create space for the things that matter most. When we talked last week about making a list of the people in my relational world and then doing this, beginning to pray for them. We have these lists available again today. They're at all the exits at the Welcome Center. And by the way, we're not like saying, hey, paper matters most. If you're in the digital world, use a prayer app like Prayer Mate, M-A-T-E. Use that. Whatever it is, make a list and start praying for the people in your world. And I've told you this story before. Uh, uh, friends of ours, uh, Trinity missionaries that were home, um, very brief visit, came up to me, though, in August and said, you know, isn't it coincidental that the more that I'm praying for the people in my world, the more opportunity I have to talk to them about Jesus? And we know there's no coincidence about that. That's God on the move and him working in lives. And so that's what we're talking about. That's where we kind of left things off. And today we're moving forward into these next couple of areas. This invest and invite concept is kind of where we're going to go and what we'll look at. Here's, here's what we're after. We're after this idea that God has you on the planet for a mission. You're here with purpose. And the reality is this. God is about reaching a world who yet doesn't know him, yet doesn't follow him, and he wants to use you. 
That's the wild notion of it. You know you, I know me. God, why in the world would you want to use me as your representative? But God does. And it's an incredible joy and privilege when you get to participate, be a partner with God in lives. The reality is that there are a group of people in your relational world who are today who you were like before you knew Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let me use you to influence them. That's what this whole idea has been about. So to live a rooted, to live a reaching life, rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds, that's how we accomplish our mission. Here's this now what idea today. We say it at the beginning so it'll be thoughtful throughout and we'll say it again at the end. Look at it up on the screens. Investing in the people in your world gives you the credibility to invite them to taste and see. Investing in the lives of people in your world gives you the credibility to invite them to taste and see. Let me explain that. Number one in your notes, to invest is to show genuine love to others. To invest is to show general love to others. I don't know if this ever, well, let me rephrase. I know this has happened to you. So now just think about the when. Think about what that was like. Think about the time when you were in some sort of conversation, or even maybe it was longer than one conversation, but you were under the impression that the person interacting with you, investing in you, was sincere. That they actually wanted to help you. They wanted to do something to be kind. And then you found out over the course of the conversation just the opposite. So they were feigning, F-E-I-G-N. They were feigning love. You've had those. This is how it worked out for me. I was um, a young dad. Jackson was under a year old. And we're at shopping like at Walmart. This is over on the other side of the desert in Lancaster. And we're there and Joanna's away. She's doing something else. So I was there with Jackson by myself and he's strapped into his little car seat thing or his whatever thing in the the cart. So I guess not a car seat, but a cart seat. Boom, that's what he was. Strapped into his cart seat. And we're just hanging out and all of a sudden a gentleman comes up to talk to me. And he's a few years older and he begins talking about the joys of being a dad and interacting with me, asking me questions about myself and about my son and telling me a little bit what it was like raising his kids. We probably talked for easily 10, 12 minutes just about raising kids and being a dad. And, and, and at that point in the conversation, he goes, hey, I have a, a tape I want you to listen to. And it was how you can join me in my pyramid thing of selling things and making me money. I got to tell you, and, and it was very sincere, the impression up till then, it was very much like he was being kind and wanting just to connect on this mutual topic of being dads. And the minute he went there, thanks, but no thanks. And we strolled away. It can even happen in churches. I pray it never does at Trinity. My parents, when we first moved to this area, when I was nine, we were looking for a church to belong to. And as we went to one, it was within a week or two of of attending it, a couple that they interacted with found out it was their first or second time, invited them home for lunch. Like, wow, that's a really nice gesture. So we go, and I remember going to their home, and we went downstairs, my brother and I, to play after lunch while they stayed up top, <clears throat> and we're talking, my parents and, uh, and this couple. Now, my parents were generally socially together, meaning that they didn't embarrass me very often as a kid. But this time they did. And what I hear, I'm downstairs and I hear this. Kind of just pounding down the stairs. And I hear my dad and he says, Todd, Jonathan, let's go. We're leaving. And I'm like, whoa. At least whatever happened, it's not my fault. Because I've been playing here, minding my own business. I had plenty of those. 
So we go marching up the stairs. We're trying to catch my parents on the way out the door. They're just gone. And we're like, okay, we better get in the car. As soon as we get in the car, we start driving off. And I'm like, what, what on earth happened? What was the problem? And he said, well, as soon as we sat at the table, because we weren't playing downstairs very long. As soon as we sat at the table, they basically pulled out their pyramid thing of how they wanted us to be involved in their, their selling team. You've had this happen to you. And here's what you realize. The moment that turn comes, you realize you were only doing this for what you could get from me. Can I tell you that investing in lives, what we're talking about today is exactly the opposite. It has nothing to do with what we can get from people. It has everything to do about the love of Jesus we can give them. So that's what we're talking about today. That's what it means to invest in lives is to share with them the kind of love that Jesus has shared with us. And that's what makes it so great. So you've had experiences of the other kind, of kinds that have turned you off and been frustrating, but I know you've had great experiences as well. As many of you have raised your hands, yes, it was through a personal relationship. I came to know Jesus. Most likely that was a person, at least among many, who showed and shared you Jesus' love. That's the kind of love we're talking about today. We're kind of following this kind of list that Pastor Tom gave us in his seminar. We're on step three today, this idea of invest. Invest. We've already talked about identifying a list. These are the people I do life with. I'm going to put their name on a card. I'm going to be praying for them consistently. Now we're at this third stage. We need to be very thoughtful and intentional of how we invest in people's lives. Simply said, according to even our, our point for this, to invest in people is to love them. That's what we're saying. It's not about what I can get from you. It's what I can give to you. And we love people the way that Jesus loved people he was around. So let's look at that today. Who were some of the people that Jesus loved? Well, watch this. Here were some of the people he did life with. He did life with blue collar fishermen. Now we live in the Inland Empire. Hopefully you're not interacting with a whole lot of fishermen because uh, that would be really interesting about the commute every day. But you do interact with blue collar workers, people, salt of the earth, good, hardworking people. Jesus did too. He actually called them to follow him. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. These are people he loved. Jesus had connections to people who I would call today political detractors, meaning this. They were so dialed in politically, so angry about the status quo, they were all about changing it. And they were going to flip things upside down, whether they believed in conspiracy theories, whether they were all about just the the anti-movement, whatever it was. They were about this. And this is how it worked out in Jesus' life. He actually had one of his disciples who he called and and pulled to himself that stayed with him for three plus years named Simon. We know him as the Zealot. Simon had already demonstrated an acts of violence towards Rome who over that time oversaw the land of Israel. They were in charge. And he was literally trying to overthrow the establishment. Do you have people in your world who are very politically active and either trying to overthrow something or trying to be very, very caught up in politics? Yeah, you do. Do you have people who all together don't even care about politics and just want to get whatever they can get from the system? Jesus did too. They were called Matthew and Zacchaeus. They were tax collectors. They weren't trying to overthrow Rome. They were working for Rome. And they were like, hey, we're just going to, it's our meal ticket. We're going to ride it as long as we can. Jesus had those people in his life as well. Do you have people in your life who are religious people? Jesus did. Had a, a very intense meeting with a guy named Nicodemus who wanted to understand spiritual things from already a religious perspective. Do you have non-religious people in your life, in your world? Jesus did. Her name was Mary Magdalene, among others. 
So Jesus had all types of different people he related to, he connected to, he did life with. They weren't just all out of one mold, just like you do. Lots of different types of people in your world. And how did he love them? Watch this. He accepted them right where they were. Always encouraging them to consider their next step in faith. But he always accepted them, responded to them right where they were at. For some, his response was to follow him. For others, the response was to trust him. For others, it was, you can be forgiven. But this is the way Jesus loved people. Now, you're here today going, Todd, that's really great. I'm not Jesus. I don't know how to do that. Well, someone we might be able to relate a little more to is the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote about what it looked like for him to love people. Your Bible is open to this passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is the only place in the New Testament in Paul's letters where he lays this out so clearly. But I think this was just his attitude and his philosophy everywhere he went. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Because we loved you so much, we, being Paul's corporate group of, of people he was in ministry with, his team, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but watch, but our lives as well. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well. We were willing to not just tell you the truth, but this great word, to be incarnational. That's what Jesus was. He was the truth embodied. Paul said, we are going to be the truth among you, live among you, share our lives, and watch. It wasn't a chore. We were delighted. We counted it joy to get to do life with you. To love others doesn't mean that you just pound them with the truth of the gospel. And by the way, we all understand that the gospel is what they need most. We get it. But we give them, we share with them, we invest and we invite with the gospel in the context of relationship, in the context of love. And by the way, if you would be here today and say, Todd, I don't get it. Why is that so important? Would you look at your own story? Look at the steps that God was using to bring you to a point where you realize you needed Jesus. We've already said 95% of us keep saying it was in the context of a relationship that God showed me himself. That person, those people loved you like we're talking about today. They shared with you, showed you the love of Jesus that you didn't even know existed. Are there people in your everyday relational world? Here's a question today I want you to be real clear on. We showed you that graphic a minute ago with concentric circles. Are there people in your relational world that are difficult to love? Let's all say the word absolutely. One, two, three. Okay, this, what we're not saying is your relational world doesn't consist only of people that are super awesome. Some of us would even be tempted to put that kind of a list together. Okay, 8 to 15, okay? Um, my wife on good days, um, my, uh, my kids when they obey, my, no, not my boss, my, you know, how, how can I go through my list and just put people that are easy to love? No, that's not the point at all. These are the people I do life with, and some of them are downright challenging. And watch this. Here's the best part. You committing, you day in, day out, saying, you know what? It's not about how easy of a person you are for me to love. It's all about the fact that I want you to see Jesus through me. You get this amazing opportunity, this amazing opportunity to know what it is for God to love you when you love difficult people. 
Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, while you were still a sinner, Romans chapter 5 verse 10, while you were an enemy of God, the Bible says, Jesus died on your behalf. Check it out in your notes. This idea of getting to love people this way. When you love others as is, you get to experience the way that God loves you. When you love people as is, you get to experience the way that God loves you. Now, some of you are hearing this. You're going, oh, Todd, this is hard for me because I want to love them, but I want to love them, be, and they need to change. Right? They need to change. They need to be more lovable. They, they need to be more honorable to God in their lives, whatever the change factor is. And here's what you're doing. We wouldn't even disagree with that, that you need to love them even though they need to change. The problem is when you say it that way, what you're often saying is, I'll be glad to love them what? When they change. And guess what you miss out? Number one, you have no guarantee they're going to. But number two, you miss out on being a part of a process of God working in their life because you are staying back, you're removed, you're, you're pulling away from that relationship because it's difficult and it's messy. How rich, how cool to say, God, I don't want to sprint with people. God, I want to marathon with people. People, and I hope Trinity Church, we never have this attitude. People are not projects. People are not how we can get them to change. People are made in the image of God. He loves them more than you ever could. So your role in their lives is to simply show them that kind of love. Does God want to change them? Absolutely. Will God be at work in their lives? Absolutely. But you get to be a part of the process when you show them as is love. And this is what's so exciting. This is what's so liberating to say, God... I want the way that you have loved me. You know all my flaws. You know everything about me. That kind of love, you love me yet. That kind of love I want to offer to the people in my relational world. And by the way, you live in a world that has very conditional love. A world that says, if you do this and this for me, then I will be there for you. If you don't, I'm not. You have an opportunity to live very contrary to anything in our culture. And guess what? When Jesus was walking among people, that's the thing they kept saying about him. You do things that nobody else does. You treat me with a respect nobody else does. You don't give up on me when everybody else did. That's the privilege. That's the joy we get to have to love like Jesus loved, to be delighted to not only share the gospel, but our very lives as well. Here's a question today. What's keeping you from investing like this? What's keeping you from loving people in your world the way that Jesus loves them? I'm going to say it has something to do with this. You don't have time. And you would honestly tell me, Todd, I would be more invested in people's lives. I would love them better. I would spend more time with them. I would engage them more if I had more time. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I think you would. So what are you going to do? There's no more hours in the day to get. We talked about that last week. You don't get more than 24. This is what you have are you going to intentionally pull some stuff out so you can put the big rocks in first? Now, some of you would say, Todd, you know, I just don't even know how to do that. I don't know where to start. Well, we said last week we were affirming our high school students about even our recent event, and we were saying they didn't stop going to school to get on mission. You would dig that, though, right? I know, I know. But instead, we said they were going to get on mission while at school. 
If you're saying, Todd, I really want to be someone who's investing in the lives of my coworkers, you're not going to quit your job. So, oh yeah, because you'll never see them anymore. But you can put on a lens of intentionality with the people that you work with. Some of us would say, Todd, I've been doing that. I've been praying for the people I work with, praying for my coworkers. I don't, I'm not seeing any kind of breakthrough. It's really cool. We shared an article as a staff. And one of the things that it talked about was um, sometimes if, if a relationship seems like it's really not growing and there's nothing going there, you need to change the context. If you work in a cubicle next to someone and you're having conversations and you're engaging and talking to them about you know, this life and, and loving them well, but feeling like that's not going anywhere, maybe it's a context change. Maybe it's a, you know what, have I ever invited them over to my home? Have I ever said, you know, you have this hobby you've told me plenty of times about, I'd love to go and, 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 and do that with you. Something that changes the context that gives the opportunity for that relationship to flourish more than just this day in and day out. These are great ideas, but it all comes back to this. God, I want to be a person who loves people the way like you've loved me. I want to be a person who delights in sharing not only the gospel, but my very life with people. And when you do that, you're living out great commandment, great commission stuff. You're living out a rooted and reaching life. Watch this. You're living out a life that Jesus will reward. That brings us to point number two today. Not only are we talking today about investing, but we're talking about this reality of inviting. To invite is to introduce others to Jesus and his people. <clears throat> to invite is to introduce Jesus, others, I'm sorry, to Jesus and his people. Now, when we think about this idea, think, go back to the, the circumstances leading up to you putting your faith in Jesus, leading up to the time when you said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Think of the different things that were going on in your life at that time. And here's an interesting question. We've asked this before. When you heard the gospel laid out real clearly, we've talked about it today, Jesus came to die for sinners. When you heard the gospel laid out, did you respond the first time you heard it? Most every one of us know not the first time, not the second, not the third. It took a while for this to kind of make sense. And, and that's exactly what was happening. As you were hearing about this Jesus, there were some things that you were initially confused about. One, it doesn't even make sense. I never even thought about spiritual things. Why am I going to be open to this? Or maybe it was, you know what? The implications of what this is about, that's huge. That would radically change my life. I don't, I don't think I'm interested in that. Or maybe it was this, maybe it was the idea that I don't really think I need it. My life is fine. I don't need it. Jesus is a crutch for people. I don't need a crutch. I'm walking well. Whatever the issue was, you saw something and you said, I'm hearing it, but I'm not engaging it. I'm not res responding to it. I'm not ready. But that changed. Something about your circumstances, something about the work that the Holy Spirit was doing in your life. We talked about it, quickening you, awakening you spiritually so you'd be responsive. That was going on. Here's a great thing. The people that you're doing life with are in the same boat you were in. They're, they're going to hear the gospel at some point, but they're not going to respond the first time they hear it. They're going to have an opportunity to hear this great news of Jesus, and they're going to think some of the same things you did. Man, I don't even know what I think about spiritual things, or that's just such a huge commitment. I don't even know what to make of that, or I'm doing fine. Whatever it is, they'll have the same sequence of the concerns and reservations you had. And watch this. Praise God that he's patient with us. Praise God that God is running a marathon with us and not a sprint where it's like, why won't you commit? We get the opportunity to taste and see. You don't have to turn there, but you can look on the screen. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 34, 
and this section in particular, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is David writing. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek, I love that word, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Taste and see. I love the visual imagery. It means exactly what you think it means. It means to sample. An invitation to come and see, not necessarily to commit to the whole meal, but I try to bite. Taste and see that the Lord is good. To some of us, we hear that today, and that sounds so user-friendly, so non-committal. Yeah, come, come try God, see if you like him. We kind of, you know, we get down on that. Like, oh, that's, that's weak. That's not the commitment Jesus offered. I, I just read from the Psalms, and we'll see it all throughout Scripture. Come and see. Come and investigate. Come and in, in, invest yourself to see if this is legitimate. Because here's the point. The invitation you're making for someone to come to know Jesus, you know who he is. You know how worthwhile it is. You know that you lack no good thing. Those who fear the Lord, those who seek the Lord, lack no good thing. I can attest to you today from this stage that is true, that is true, that is true. And we want people in our relational worlds to taste and see that the Lord is good to be able to see what this is about, to make this invitation. This is, I think, our biggest problem, though, is that we try to do too much. Let let me show you what I mean. Alan, how are you doing this morning? Your wife saw me coming at you. She's like, he's coming your way. Come on, stand up. Stand up real quick. Did you have any idea I was going to do this this morning? None whatsoever. Good. I asked someone that in the first service, and he said, I don't think so. Like, he forgot if I would have talked to him or not. So (laughs) that was good. But we didn't talk about this? No. Good. I want to introduce you to someone. Okay. Come on over here. This is my friend Les. Okay. Les, you want to stand up real quick? Okay. Les, do you and Alan know each other? A little. A little. Yeah. A little kind of like, you know, we've seen each other at church, come across the room. Okay. Les Arnett. This is Alan Kavalich. So here's the thing. I want to make sure you guys get to know each other. I think you guys would really enjoy each other. I know both of you, and I know that there could be something really neat there. And I think you'd hit it off. And they're going to do this right now in front of all of us. They're going to go, this is great. That would be unkind, right? I would be unkind just to walk away. Todd introduced me, and now i got to say hello. Right? It's good. Good. Here's my point. The people in our relational world, let's take these characters. Let's say Alan represents someone in my relational world. Les represents Jesus. Pretty good, right, Les? You scored today. Yeah? That's right. So here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Alan, Alan, I really want you to meet someone and, and in that thing, if there, it's anybody else, right? Just like here right now, when I'm introducing Alan to Les, I am not stressing about if Alan's going to be Les's best friend. I'm making an introduction. Because guess what? In relationships, that's all you can do. I can't make people be friends. I can't, I can't say of all that I know about Alan and all that I know about Les, even though I think they'd be great friends and they hit it off, I, I can't manage that. I can't control that. But what I can do is make a great introduction. This is what it is to invite people to know Jesus is to make an introduction. Here's the reason why you don't. 
you're afraid that you have to do everything else. You're afraid. I was afraid forever, it seemed like, in my life. God, if I introduce my friend to Jesus, I'm going to have to somehow now be responsible that they love him like I do. Uh Uh-uh. You're not. Because that next step is beyond you, and you can't do anything about that. That's between them and God. And here's the great news. You're leaving them in good hands. Look how Jesus is taking care of you. Look how he has wooed you to himself. Look how he has shown you that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We can trust Jesus to be Jesus in their lives. What we need to do is make the connection. That's what this invitation idea is about. And as we walk through this today, just briefly, I just want you to see a couple things of what it looks like and how it goes. What have you been doing so far before you make this introduction? Number one, you've made a list. And, and, and in this case, Alan was on my list. And I've been investing in Alan's life. I've gotten to know him. I care about him. I, and let's say at this point, he doesn't follow Jesus yet. I want Alan to know him. So what am I going to do? I'm going to find a way to invite him. And I can do that a couple different ways. One is I can say, Alan, I, I go to church uh, pretty consistently at Trinity. I'd love for you to come with me. Do you know that we actually put a thoughtfulness into what we do in this service every week to create a conversation between you and the person that you bring? That's our hope. That's what we're after. Every single week, we're thinking that way. Or we do things that we do, what we call entry point events. We just did it a few weeks ago with our ladies event, the gathering at the well. These events are with the thoughtfulness. And Alan, by the way, you can't come to that one, okay? (laughs) Neither could I. But, um, but it's the idea of an, an intentional place to go, hey, just come and see, taste and see a little bit of who Trinity Church is, a little bit of who Jesus' people are. Just get to know that we're not nuts. Not most of us, anyways. <laughs> and guess what? You get to know that these are genuine people who love you. Now, that doesn't preclude the opportunity for you to invite them into a conversation. I don't want you to get this idea that invite only means bring them to church, let the professionals. No, no, no. If you have opportunity to invite them into a conversation about who this Jesus is and why you love him so much, man, amen. Do that. But these are other options, other opportunities. And and my simple question to you is this, as you consider this, this seems pretty doable. This seems like a pretty doable thing to do. Simple question, why are you not doing it? I think it has something to do with this. I think it has something to do that making this connection with someone and and inviting them to know the Jesus I love, inviting them to a church event, inviting them to a Sunday service, it takes time. For instance, let's say, ladies, that you are thinking about that gathering at the well event. You have someone in your life that you know would just really benefit from women being honest and real about who they are and who Jesus is in their lives. And you thought this would have been a great event. And you walk up to your friend. Your friend's name's Sally. You walk up to Sally and go, Sally, you would love this event. It's going on at my church this week. Um, I really hope you go. Sally's looking at me like, uh, by myself? Yeah, I don't, ha- I don't have any time. I can't go. But I really think you should. You'd love it. Great ladies there. Really sweet. Great desserts. You're going to love it. I'm pretty sure Sally's not going to show up. So margin. We keep coming back to it. Margin, if I'm going to have the time, the bandwidth, the space to be investing in the lives of people in my relational world, some stuff is going to have to come out. And the reason we keep pounding this is it's not right for me to say you can keep living life as is and try to cram the big rocks in. You can't. It's not fair to look at life that way. It's unrealistic. 
But what you can do is you can pull out the rocks, you can start with the big rocks, and then you can add in ones around it. And if one of the big rocks is, God, I want to be a person of intentional influence in my relational world, then I'm going to need to make space for that. Maybe one of the reasons that you don't invite people yet is it just seems like it's just a weird jump. Let me say what I mean by that. Tom was here and in that seminar, he did a great job. He's walking through those four points and he said, how often we'll do this. We'll, we'll start at number one, <clears throat> identify the people in my relational world, make a list. We'll do that. And then we'll realize that this, this upcoming event's coming up. Let's say our, our Christmas Eve services in December and a couple months are a great entry point event. Everybody loves Christmas. And, and there's neighbors in, in your area that you've literally waved, hi. You don't run each other's you know, cats and dogs over. That's good news. And so you're cordial, and, you, and then you realize that we're doing these Christmas Eve services, and you're going, and, and you get some sort of a flyer thing that we have to hand out to invite to people, and, and you're like, I'm just going to go over there and do it. Kind of muster up the courage, not even really sure if his name's Bob or not, you know, but you're going to go over there anyway. <clears throat> and you're going to go over, and you're going to hand this to Bob, and oh, it's Tom, my dad, and I really want your family to come to this. And he's looking at you like, okay, thanks. But you see it all over his face. There's no way he's coming. Because what have you done? You've jumped from one to four. You knew he's in your world, kind of, but, but you're not praying for Tom, Bob, you know, and, and you're not really investing in his life, but a, a high from across the street. It, it really requires a sense of those first. And then guess what? That invi- and watch this. That invitation is so natural at that point. As I put them on my list, as I'm praying for them, and as I'm investing in their lives, then to say, my church says it's really great Christmas Eve service. I'd love for you to come. He's like, oh, if you're going to be there, I'd come with you. And that leads to our last point, entry point events, feeling confident in what we do. <clears throat> our pastoral staff has been on this issue for months. We bring it up time and time again. They're probably sick of me bringing it up so much, but this is what I'm convinced of. We can talk all day long about how important it is to invest in inviting people's worlds. But if you don't have a confidence in what we're going to do when you bring them here, you're still not going to. And I don't blame you. Let me tell you why. It is a big deal. You're moving the relationship in a new way when you say, hey, I've been praying for you. You don't know that. I've been investing in your life. You could probably tell that. Now I'm going to invite you to this thing. And there's a vulnerability that is happening when I'm doing that, that I'm wondering, uh, this could change the nature of the relationship. It could be weird. I don't know. It's going to be that way enough. But when I come to Trinity Church enough, I feel like I'm not even sure what they're doing has a thoughtfulness of my friend That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about so much about lights, camera, excellence, you know, lighting off fireworks. We're talking about did the event that we planned, was it thoughtful of your friend that you brought? And we're saying it is. We're saying that's the changes we're making. That's the ways of the gears that are turning in our heads that we're trying to think very thoughtfully of who you're going to bring, that they would have a great entry point. You need to have confidence in what we're doing, and we want to show you that you can these are the reasons right, why right now, margin, just the idea that you're jumping through the steps or the idea that you're not sure it's going to be what you hope it is, those are things we're trying to work on to take those issues away so that you can, with great assurance, invite them. And that helps you do what we're looking at finally today. Number three, you get to serve as Jesus' ambassador. When you do this, to be an intentional influencer is to be Jesus's ambassador. Since the very second message I gave when I was candidating here, we've been talking about this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Take a look at the screen. 
All this is from God, Paul writing, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's, that's the, um, the plot line of the Bible, right? That's what we've been talking about. That summarizes it so well. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Watch this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's what we're talking about. We just simply want to engage our lives as representatives of Jesus, letting him take care of the rest, but we want to represent him in our worlds well. And I want to close today by showing you a little bit of what that looks like. I had not thought this way. I had not been introduced to this concept for the first 32 years of my life. And I get to a church in the desert that talks this way every week. And I just realized, what in the world am I going to do about this? And this is what God was doing simultaneous to me hearing this truth. This is what God was doing in my life. We just moved to Victorville and we found a house to rent. And we were about to put money down on it. And two days later, Jackson would start kindergarten. So it was 15 years ago. He would start kindergarten, and as he was there that day, he walks into a classroom. This is, and this, by the way, is our oldest child. We've never done school before. This is brand new to all of us. Pretty scary thing. And Joanna walks in with him, and as they're there, it was literally, the, she would say, five minutes of a, of a group of 25 kids in the room. It was five minutes before him and Kyle connected. And he and Kyle became best buds their birthdays are one day apart. Later on that year, we would throw the most killer Star Wars Jedi party ever <laughs> as co-families doing this one big birthday party. It was awesome. So Jackson and Kyle like glue within moments of one another. And it was just interesting that Kyle's mom was there um, helping out, volunteering in the classroom that day. Again, hear all the coincidences. And, and she's there and Joanna's there and they start interacting. They realize that their two sons are instant buddies and they're kind of going, oh, this is cool. And they get to know each other. And by the end of that conversation, Yvonne, Kyle's mom, Yvonne says, hey, I don't know if you guys have found a house yet, but there's a house just across the street, two doors down, that is for rent. What were you guys thinking? And we realized in the conversation, that's the house we put the money down on. So we were going to be their neighbors, coincidentally, right? So we become neighbors with Josh and Yvonne. And so Yvonne is married to a guy named Josh. Josh and Yvonne have two kids, Kyle and a younger brother. And as we start doing life with this family, that, this is what's going on. We're realizing that's really coincidental, God. And I'm hearing at church all the time that I'm someone who's supposed to take an initiative, supposed to be an intentional influencer in my relational world. And I'm going, God, I've been afraid to do this my whole life. This is what evangelism has been, and it seems so foreign and so weird. I I don't want to do that again, but I'm hearing if I would take this seriously to pay attention to the people that God strategically and supernaturally places in my life, I could be a source of influence in theirs. So I do. I start getting to know Josh, and The rest of Josh's family, Yvonne and their two boys, they would go to church, but Josh didn't want anything to do with it. Not because he was an atheist, he just didn't care. Like, that's good for you, I'm not interested. And we got to know Josh. We got to have them over in our home. We were over in their home. Our our kids did things together. And a relationship began to form. And I remember very clearly one of the days, it was probably going to be about two or three months in the friendship, we had the opportunity to go skiing together at Mountain High to go night skiing. 
And so we talked about it, made the plan, and we left. And, and going into that, I was just thinking, God, I'm going to have 45 minutes in the car with Josh each way. I'll be in the ski lodge with him. I have all kinds of time. And what do guys do when they hang out? What I'm doing right now. No, we don't. We just sit there. So I'm going, God, I, I don't want to just do that. And I don't want to do this. I don't want to be driving in the car and, and the sun is setting and going, I'm in the, in the passenger seat and looking over at Josh and going, God did that. And him go, okay. I still, I'm just praying, God, anything but that. So I've been praying about this for a few days. We get to have this drive together. And it's just as though God's just throwing me softballs. Because it's Josh who's asking the questions, how do you balance being a dad and doing your career? How do, how do you be a good husband? What, what does a pastor do? I prayed for these organic conversations, and that's what we had the whole way up and the whole way back. And I just came home and I said, God, thank you so much for the opportunity to just be authentic, real, and to love Josh. It would be a few months later that Josh would put his faith in Jesus. And I tell this story, I get emotional every single time I tell it. I've had the incredible privilege of leading other people to the Lord, but this story is unlike any other. Why? Because I didn't do it as a pastor, I did it as a Todd. I was just be, me being me, I was just me being a neighbor, I was just me being intentional. Here's what I want for you. I want you to get that. I want you to know what it's like to join God, to be a partner in him doing amazing things in your relational world. And the way that we'll do that is by investing in people's lives, you're gonna earn the credibility to invite them to taste and to see. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today with this great sense of gratitude. We've already come to your table celebrating what Jesus has done in our place. And now we talk about this powerful reality, God, of getting to be intentional influencers, getting to be people who live on mission in our relational world. And, and God, as we talk about this, the reason we take it so seriously is because we know it matters it mattered to us, it matters to them, but God, we also know there's joy. We delighted to share with you, not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. God, we want to know that joy of being a people on mission, of being a people that you are using in people's lives, and the great news is that we can do it. God, this is not beyond any of us to be people who invest and people who invite. This week, God, use us Use us in strategic, influential ways, well beyond what we could ever see, because you're doing things underneath the surface. Your Holy Spirit's involved in ways we could never know. But God, help us do our part as we commit to love people as is, and as we make introductions that they would know Jesus. We love you, and we pray in your great name. Amen.